praise the Lord. Oh, how we appreciate that today. Let's bow our heads together as we approach the Lord Jesus now in prayer before we go to the Word. Heavenly Father, we love you so much today. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that we can say truly, our sins are washed away. We thank you for that cleansing, Father, that takes us back, Lord Jesus, even more, more pure than we were when we were born. Lord, how many babies, and I stand here and dedicate them, and I can't keep from thinking about they haven't sinned, they haven't done anything wrong, but if they would go on in life, they would become old enough to where they would because they were born tainted. But if we could see it today, when we're truly born again, it takes us further back than our first birth ever brought us. We're back into that state in your mind, and we're so grateful. Lord Jesus, we ask you today that you would help us as we endeavor to look into your word. Father, these prayer cloths I have in my hand, Lord, you know the needs they represent, and I just ask you that you would move for them, Father. May you open our hearts to your word today. May we be benefited by our gathering together, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. I mean, it's happy to be in the house of the Lord. Thank the Lord. Amen. Just a couple announcements before we read the word. I want to wish my two oldest granddaughters, Ashley and Courtney, happy birthday today. They're 21. They're, they're um, uh, celebrating that in Europe somewhere. I'm not sure where they are today, France or Switzerland or somewhere. And then uh, I want to wish uh, my precious, beloved wife a happy anniversary tomorrow, 46 years. And then as someone has already told you, our birthday will be on Tuesday. So. 63 years old. Well, I'm, I'm getting close to the Social Security age, I think. I'm, I'm young, am I? Okay, thank you. These young people didn't agree with you. They all saw the smile on their face. Praise the Lord. I'm so glad we have this life that we can live for the Lord Jesus. Thank you. Amen. Let's turn today to St. John 14, verse 1. We so appreciate God's Word and His presence with us last night and meeting with us as He always does. <clears throat> St. John 14, 1. For those of you that wasn't with us last night, we read this, and uh, the setting is uh, Peter, the Lord Jesus, telling the disciples that He's going to go, and Peter telling them that He wants to go with Him, and the Lord telling Him that He cannot come to where He is, and then He goes straight from the last verse of uh, chapter 13 to this, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. <laughs> and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. May the Lord bless his words. You may be seated. How unusual to call such a place my father's house. The Lord Jesus wanted to convey in this message not only the eternal glory, the blessings that weigh 
wait for us as the people of God. But the intimate connection of what this father's house really means. Of all the things that he could have said, he could have called it wonderful names, wonderful titles. He could have talked about the gold and the pearls. And, and this is the builder himself. But he mentions none of that. But what he mentions is what is the dearest part to his heart. And that is that we are going to be where he is. Now, I know that we say this, and I know in our, our limited ability, we try to comprehend it. It's so hard for us to be able to relate how he must really love us. Carol and I was talking about it to women home last night in the service, and I told her, I said, you know, it's amazing when you think about that the great uh, carpenter, he, when he was on the earth, he built doors, no doubt, cabinets and whatever more that he built. Whenever he left this world, he went to the right hand of the throne of God. There is the intercessor. But he began in the uh, program that we're talking about today, if it wasn't already started then. He began to work on a new, a new place, a new city where to take us to. But at the same time, his grace through the administration of high priest was also building a body on the earth, which he called the church which is the corresponding part to that great pyramidal city that will descend from God out of heaven one day. But I told her, I said, you think about the difference of the material that he had to work with in those two vicinities. In heaven, there was not enough gold, so he made it. There was no gigantic gates of pearl, so he made them. There was not enough jasper. There was not enough of these great gems and things, so he made them. But look at the material that he's dealing with there. Gold that is so beautiful and so pure that it's transparent. Water that is so pure coming from out from under the throne of God that it is, when John describes it, he uses the adjective, clear as crystal. But look at what he has to work with in this other sphere. Dust. 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 Not just plain old regular dirt. You understand, it would be easier to pick up a handful of dirt and be able to make something out of it than it is for him to take us handfuls of dirt but with fears and complexes and scars and all kinds of issues in our lives. Look at the material that he's working with there to make the paradise of God versus the material that he's working with here. And can you imagine that in his view, this that he's accomplishing here is worth much more and a greater accomplishment than that great paradise which is there awaiting us today. And we look at it and think, but what are we? What have we brought to him? But heartache and sorrow and difficulty, and yet he loves you more than your poor mind can ever even comprehend. Even desiring to express it this way to the apostles, and they, of course, are saddened by the news that the Lord Jesus is going away. And he's going to tell them in chapter 15, 16, 17, and he, he unveils after Judas leaves, of course, and gives them the intimate connection of the comforter, the paracletos. And he, he tells them that I'll pray, and I and the Father will come to you. And he unveils all those wonderful things to them. And he's going, this is the beginning of opening up, chapter 14, to what's going to 
transpire in chapter 15, 16, and 17. And he wants them to know how that he feels. And no doubt they were mesmerized as they sat there and heard him say that, Father, I pray that you'd let them be one even as you and I are one. May they be able to sense that love and uh, them abiding in me and my word in them. Then they ask what they want. Father, I don't pray that you'd take them out of the world, but I pray that you would keep them from the world. Father, I come to you and they remain here and them just hearing him say it over and over again. He was not praying a prayer of some fine, pretty words that would be able to impress them. But he wanted them to hear, even as he prayed, how he felt in his heart. What a greater prayer. There could be no greater prayer prayed before his crucifixion than the intercessory prayer being prayed, not only for those living, but for those that would come centuries later, right down to our very time. I don't believe the Lord Jesus just prayed for Peter, James, John, Bartholomew, Matthew, Mark, and all the rest of those brethren that were there. I believe he was praying for the successive ages that would come down right to the very end. Because you look at his prayer, it is inclusive of all of those that are the elect of God down through the seven church ages. Oh friend, may God open our hearts today and help us to be able to see how much He really loves us. In spite of all of our flesh, in spite of all of our weaknesses, in spite of all of our humanity, He loves us more than our minds, I believe, can comprehend this morning. Now he sets himself forth, notice in verse 2 again, in my father's house are many mansions. Now we're not talking about, you know, someone who's doing some type of expedition. We're not talking about someone who is guessing what heaven is. We're not talking about someone that is a Bible expositor that's saying, well, from the Greek words uh, versus the Hebrew words and the Aramaic and the dialect of the people according to the Greek word here that was used to be able to say this and that and the other. We're actually talking talking about somebody who came from there. So we're not talking about somebody that's trying to understand it as best they can, but he came from there, so he would surely know what was there. So he does not say in that city, the streets of gold, the walls of Jasper, the gates of pearl, doesn't mention any of that at all. But he uses these terms of endearment in my father's house. So he sets himself forward as the being the revealer and the opener of the gate that is going to lead us into this great paradise city of God. So he stands as one, if I can liken it this way, he stands as one up on the mountain as Moses was when he was taken up upon the mountain and God said, you're not going to be allowed to go over, but come up and I'll let you see. So Moses goes up and he begins to look. Now part of it he could see by natural sight, part of it he had to break into the fourth dimension to see by vision because his natural eyes would not be able to see that far. So he stands there and as his time eyes give way and the eternal eyes blend in and the vision merges on and he sees from where he's standing there plumb across into the great land of what God is going to give to the children of Israel. And Moses mentioning now and Joshua pinning it down that I see this and I see that and I see Gilead and I see, I see Tabor and I see Hermon and I see all all of these blessed places and all what a thing it must have been our Lord Jesus now he's fixing to face this very exchange of death 
And before he does, he stands upon the mount of interchange, as we would say, as he's coming up and he's going to give this back to his disciples, knowing that they will share it and it will be shared for 2,000 years of what he had to say. So he stands upon the mountain as it was, looking across and saying, this is what I see in my father's land. I do not see a God who hates you. I do not see a God who despises you, even when you fall short of his glory. But in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And if I go away to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there you may be also. Oh, brother, sister, to me, he could not have expressed it in a greater way. You agree with that sentiment? He could not have told it in a way that would be more dear to our hearts once we move beyond what we think heaven is. And once we move beyond how we think God relates to us. And probably most of us think, well, he likes me when I'm reading my Bible. And he likes me when I'm faithful. And he likes me when I do this and that. But whenever I fail, he hates me. He loves you just as much much when you fail as he does when you obey every word that he says. But you see, why can't we comprehend that? Because as humans, we love conditionally. We love friends conditionally. We love brothers. Come on. And many times our wives, our husbands, our children. But God loves beyond condition. His love, oh my, it's absolutely irrefutable. It can never change. He cannot love you anymore. Hallelujah. Amen. You are the very apple of his eye. He gave everything that he was to redeem you. And he said, in my father's house are many dwelling places. I'm standing here on the mountain as I look down. I'm not giving you an opinion. I'm not giving you a view from my knowledge which I've come together to be able to describe. I'm telling you what is there because I left there and I'm going back there and I'm going to bring you there. Amen. In order to bring us back, there must be a connection to the intimate part of God's own soul. Now listen to me carefully. It's not enough that we love his word. It's not enough that we read his word. There are many denominational people that love reading the Bible. They do. They really love it. It's the only book they read. They don't have the seal book, the church age book. They don't have all these sermons. And many of them, the only thing they read is their Bible. And you get in a debate with some of them and they'll let you know. Many of them know more about it than you if you're not careful. Is that right? Why? Because they do love their Bible. They read it with a veiled heart. But knowing his word is not enough. Knowing even some of his principles, that is not enough. You must know him. Then when you know him and when you read his word from a heart which knows him, then the book takes on a brand new meaning. It's something totally different. Now, I read this last night, and I'm read it to you again from the future home. In the earth, there is a new city. Oh, my, now listen close. Don't forget this. Listen close. He said that Jesus in St. John 14 said he would go to prepare let not your hearts be troubled he's going away I have a reason to go away you believed in God he said believe also in me they couldn't see he was God you believed in God now you believe in me I'm going to prepare a place 
for you. In my Father's house is many mansions. Now remember the devil has had access and so has his demons into the current throne room of God. In the heavens is of course where they have access even able to ward off the blessing of God between us and heaven every time we pray we're sending up our prayers to the stream of these powers of demons as Daniel did in the Old Testament and the prophet even uses the term in future home that they're able to war off the blessings of God. Many times when you and I pray it's not that God does not hear us but the answered prayer has to come down through the dimensions and be able to penetrate through this wall of evil spirits as it was and darkness that permeates our world that we live in. And Satan is still the prince of the power of the air. Is that right? This is why storms and all these things move from the atmosphere because Satan that is still his domain. But yet whenever Jesus now wants us to understand I'm going away to prepare this place for you it is actually new. It is a place which has never been quite like this before. It is in heaven but it is not heaven. It is from heaven and its origination can come from the very mind of God because it was in God's mind to be tangible. He's invisible. He's spirit. But he wanted to be tangible so the whole thing is God becoming material. He wanted you to become material. This is why we're here today. So we are the materialistic thoughts of God that has manifested themselves in human form. And then whenever we come back around and we look at it last night that the Shekinah glory unveiled in us by the baptism of the Holy Ghost as Jesus on Mount Transfiguration opened up the veil and the glory which was in his soul came out and his face was so white and his garments become bright and as the vision as it begins to end then that glory enters back into the human veil and the entrance to the veil closes around it as it were don't you understand that's what happens to us sometimes when we get so caught up into his presence and we're able to catch a little glimpse of who we are and we realize I'm not the son of Don and Betty Reagan I'm more than a mortal I'm more than a Tennessean or Ohioan whatever it is a little bit every now and then that glory breaks beyond the veil and you're able to look there and see who you are and then as soon as it came it rushes back in and the veil closes again what blinds our minds to it friends it's this human part that we look at so much it's the human part of our brothers and sisters that we look at and we struggle because the glory enters back in and the entrance of the veil shuts and once more we're here in this humanity desiring to be changed desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven can't you see what the rapture is going to be the final opening of the veil and from there your soul will force your body to be changed <laughs> praise be to God then the veil of humanity will no longer close around the permeating glory which lives in your soul it's in you this morning if you've got the Holy Ghost that same power of God that will change your body is in you as you said in this church house Why? Parallel construction. Listen to this. He said Christ is there under the construction of this new Jerusalem now. 
So you understand what church, what the real church of the living God. When we come to the house of God, you understand what it is? Construction zone. So Jesus is in heaven. He's been there for 2,000 years building a place to be able to take you to. 2,000 years of church ages has been a construction zone on the earth. Making a people to take them to the city that he's there making for the people. <laughs> Glory. Notice he said, now don't move. Don't, don't, no, boy, he really wants you to get this. Don't, don't miss this. Christ is in heaven today preparing the new Jerusalem. Just as God created the earth in six days, made the earth in six days or 6,000 years. As he said, be not ignorant, we read in the scripture, one day, one year, excuse me, 1,000 years is a day. And Christ has gone and is preparing a place that's been on its construction for many, many thousands of years. And Carol asked me last night, she said, was it going on before he came? And then he resumed it when he went back. I said, I'm not sure exactly. <laughs> many, many thousands of years preparing a place. If I go and prepare a place, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there, you may be also. Now watch Jesus as he opens this up a little further in verse 3. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. Now this come is the rapture. This is the consummation of the ages. I will come again and receive you. Brother Terry, I just had myself a spell the other day when I looked up this word. Look at it with me. It means take or take away. The verb translated, take you, is to take over from another. <laughs> Woo! Glory! To take over from another. Notice in future homes, see the earth redeemed goes back to its original owner again. He took it from Satan. He, amen. He pulled, taking the earth away from Satan, just like he took you. Oh, amen. He took you away from Satan just like he took the little woman at the well away from Satan. Oh, I made up my mind. You never done no such a thing. He took you away from the devil. The devil thought he had you. He thought there was no hope. There was no mercy. And Jesus said, out of the way, devil. This one is mine. This one is mine. This one is mine. You can't have them. Their name is on my book. I'm taking them from you. Hmm. Praise God. Aren't you glad you've been took away? The same one who took you away is fixing to take you away. He specializes in taking away. Notice the way he words this. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. Isn't it amazing you would expect the Lord Jesus now in saying, I'm going to wait to prepare a place for you and I will come and take you to that place. But that isn't the way that he says it. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. 
So the place is not the major thing. It's the person making the place. Praise the Lord. Singing's good. Preaching's good. All these things, we love it, right? But brother, sister, let us not focus just on the gifts. Let's focus on the giver. Let's not focus on the preaching gifts and the singing gifts and the musical gifts and all that. We love all that. But that's not what we're in love with. We want to be in love with him. I find it so amazing, Brother Terry, that he would go to this and he said, if I go and prepare a place for you, then I will come again and not take you to that place and, and take you to that blessed, wonderful thing, this gigantic place, it's this and that and the other. But he wants us to see again, this is the entrance, as I said, of chapter 15, 16, 17. And this is the entrance of, of what God wants to show of the intimate part that's fixing the unfold in the baptism of the Holy Ghost. This had not been uttered prior to this. But now remember, Judas is fixing to walk away and the rest of the apostles they will fall as well but they will come back but the Lord Jesus has this opportunity to open his very heart in the office of priesthood even though it will become future in the work of the church ages they are allowed to hear him pray and they are allowed to hear him pray intercessory prayers and it's not the prayer from the heart of a priest that is burdened down all these people are driving me crazy it's not like Moses was oh God have you given me all these children can I bear all these children as a mother oh no it's not like the prayer of Samuel it's not like the prayer of an Old Testament high priest God I need to go ahead and do this and get it done but it is a high priest with divine heart with divine nature with divine character with divine attributes he's not complaining about the cross that lays before him our priest is not going through the agony and said I wish I didn't have to do this this is going to be so difficult but he is rejoicing hallelujah oh my no wonder the scripture said he was able to bear what he bore because of the cost and the price and the reward that lay before him he was able to spare the suffering of the cross because he had you in front of him how was he able to take ridicule and mocking and laughter because he had you in front of him my brother sister go through your trials with Jesus in front of you go through your trials with heaven in front of you it will make it a lot easier. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. But the object of preposition in the, in the compounding making of this sentence is not himself, is it? Isn't the object of the preposition which we're looking at, wasn't we talking about the city? I mean, why not, you know, just, just magnify about the city? He's magnifying what's important. Praise God. Praise God. Don't misunderstand me. If he needs pure gold, he can make it. If he needs more sardis stone, if he needs more chrysoceros, if he needs more jasper, he can make it. But do you understand? He cannot make another attribute from his thinking. 
When God opened up the side of Adam and took that rib out and went inside of his, his spiritual makeup and divided his spirit and separated the feminine spirit from him and put the feminine spirit inside of that body, why was it that God did not just smite Eve right there by death and say, Adam, I'll give you another wife. We'll start all over again. She ain't worth fooling with. There was no more spirit in Adam's body to make another woman out of. <laughs> he had more ribs. He had more blood. He had more flesh. But in his spirit, there was not another Eve. Hallelujah to God. There is more gold. There is more jasper. There is more things out there. But my brother, sister, he has not one more member of the bride than what he had back in eternity. And he cannot make another. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and not take your replacement. Now, please don't misunderstand me. If you are elect of God, no one, absolutely no one can take your place. But Brother Donnie, I've messed up so bad. Tell me one prophet in the Bible that didn't mess up. When Moses messed up, did God say, oh, I've got plan B. I've got another guy named Moses. When Joshua messed up, did God say, that's fine, no problem. I've got another guy named Joshua. I've got, a, I've got doubles of everybody. I've got two Davids. I've got two Sauls. I've got two Samsons. I've got two Donnies, two Jims. That ain't the way God works it. God has confidence in his own word. He cannot deny himself. Though we fail, though I wish somebody had preached to me this morning, though we fail, though we fall short of the glory of God, he cannot deny himself. When by the grace of God are we ever going to realize that attribute inside of us is not us. It is not of us. It is himself. Oh, glory. He cannot deny himself, which you are a part of by predestination. So if I go prepare a place for you, I will come and get your brother, your replacement. I will come and get you. Brother Donnie, that kind of sounds like you're preaching eternal security. I am preaching eternal security. And it ain't the Baptist version, it's the God version. Well, boy, if that's the way it is, I'll do whatever I want to do. Proves you're not born again. So instead of saying, look, children, he could have sat right down. He could have, Brother Terry, he would have went through all the dimensions. He could have went through all the paradigm of how he's going to make it together. I'm fixing to go up and I'm going to make all this gold. Let me give you all the formula. I'm fixing to make all this gold and all this jasper. But he just says, let me consummate it and sing this. If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will receive you unto myself. Let me be honest with you, okay? If there was no golden streets, no gates of pearl, if Jesus is there, that's heaven for me. 
Come on, saints. You understand what I'm saying? If you've got your eyes on all that gold, my goodness, that's only the pavement in heaven. If you've got your eyes on all them splendor there, you need to fall in love with him. Well, I'm not going to be worshiping gold and gates of pearl and streets of gold and all that sort of thing. My life for eternity will be focused on my Lord Jesus. So wonderful is his love for his church. He cannot be satisfied until they are there. How many is longing for the rapture today? Oh, you didn't see it, but his hand went up, both of them. Praise God. Not just to merely bring you to heaven and then send you all out on your merry way. Well, you go here and you go there and I'll see you every now and then. No, he longs for you with such a divine love. Brothers, if you married a girl and you was fixing to and you bought a house and my, you labored and worked for that thing and you took it around and showed it to her before you got married. She just went on and on and on and on and on and on about the house. And you're thinking, I'm not sure she's marrying me or marrying the house. Boy, she thought a lot of me till I showed her the house and then she got star crazy and old gold crazy and faucet crazy. My, she thought the granny was something. She ain't bragged on me in that long and I don't know when. Well, it'd kind of make you wonder a little bit, wouldn't it? Well, I don't mind telling you, friend, this is why I can say it today with all of my heart, and I mean it. If there was no heaven, please let me go a little farther. If there was no afterlife, if there was no heaven and no hell, if there was no eternity to spend the rest of our time with him, I would still serve him in this life. And if after I got done with my life, I ceased to exist, I totally disappeared, I'd still rather be a Christian. I'd still rather be filled with the Holy Ghost. I'd still rather be able to preach His Word because He has been so good to me. He gives me peace. He gives me healing. He gives me deliverance. I'd serve Him if there was no heaven. I'd serve Him if there was no hell. He is my life my everything Jesus is not my ticket to a better world he is that better world now let's go back to Revelation 21 23 for a little bit if we can. And the city had no need of the sun. Neither of the moon to shine in it. For the glory of God did lighten it. And the Lamb is the light thereof. And the nations of them which are saved. On the outside now shall walk in the light of it. And the kings of the earth shall bring their glory and honor into it. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by night, by day rather, for there shall be no night there in the city. And they shall bring their glory and the honor of the nations into it. 
Now notice the parallel of this as we run this from the Old Testament. First Kings chapter 4 verse 21. And Solomon reigned over all the kingdoms from the river under the, uh, excuse me, the land of the Philistines under the border of Egypt. And they brought presents and served Solomon all the days of his life. So now here we have the son of David sitting upon his throne and we have his kingdom spread from border to border and we've got these people, these kings who are subservient unto King Solomon and they are bringing presents unto the king's house. Now this is already the richest man on the earth. Why did he need presents? But you see, it was a sign of their subjection and their loyalty to him. Now, the kings that live outside the city will be bringing gifts and presents and food and their honor into King Jesus. Notice 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. In the twelfth year of Ahaz, king of Judah, became Hosea the son of Eliab to reign in Samaria over Israel nine years. He did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, but not as the kings of Israel that were before him. And against him came up Shalmazar, king of Assyria, and Hosea became his servant and gave him present. Now notice what this does. So here was this king that became subservient to a king of greater power and authority. Now he did not strip him of his kingship, but he left him there. Then no doubt was probably just a political puppet king. But by his showing his submission to him, he brought gifts and he brought presents to the king and his showed that he was subservient to this king. Praise God. Second Chronicles 17.5 Therefore the Lord established the kingdom in his hand and all Judah brought to Jehoshaphat presence. And he had riches and honor in abundance. Verse 11. Also some of the Philistines brought Jehoshaphat presence. Now that's quite a deal. The Gentile Philistines bringing an Israeli king presence? Why? Now God is causing their hearts to render the honor and benevolence unto Jehoshaphat because of his obedience to the word. Can't you see why God will not make everybody on the same level? God is going to allow these hierarchy orders in the new earth to honor, amen, to honor the sonship, the Lord Jesus on through eternity. These kings, every time they come in, They will bring honor and they will bring presence and they will bring gifts into the bride's chamber. Every time they come in, the King Jesus is being honored and rewarded for his service on the earth. Praise God. Also, some of the Philistines brought Jehoshaphat presents and tribute silver and the Arabians brought him flocks. 7,700 rams, 7,700. I wonder how they knew to bring sevens. 7,700 he goes. Notice this again in Second Chronicles 32, 22. Thus, saith, thus the Lord saved Hezekiah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem from the hand of Sennacherib, king of Assyria, from the hand of all other, and guided them on every side. And many brought 
gifts unto the Lord to Jerusalem and presents to King Hezekiah of Judah. So they bring gifts to the Lord. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Adonai. And they also bring presents to his king. So that he was magnified in the sight of all nations from thenceforth. So the kings on the outside of the city, they'll come in at whatever time that they're bidden to come. The Arabians, the Ethiopians, and whatever more, there will be nationalities right through eternity. They will come right up to their, them and their king, and they'll say, tomorrow by this certain time, almighty God beckons you to come up and worship. Amen. They'll prepare, oh my, oh my, it's our time to go up before Adonai. It's our time. Oh, oh, oh. Everybody get ready. Oh, oh, here we go. They'll say, well, I got to go to church tomorrow. You want to take a surprise trip to Dollywood? Check the website and see if Brother Donnie's going to be there. Well, I had a little headache on Sunday morning. It's absolutely, to me, a miracle cure. So many folks that are sick on Sunday morning, and they're able to go to Walmart on Sunday evening. Whatever y'all are using, please let me know. I know enough sick people, I'd like to spread that amongst the folks. So what will these kings do? They will come in with their people. Friends, we're talking about millions, if not billions, of inhabitants on the earth. Notice Psalm 68, 28. Thy God hath commanded thy strength. Strengthen, O God, that which thou hast wrought for us because of thy temple at Jerusalem shall kings bring presents unto thee. You think you're going to work in the post office there? You're going to be the royal residence of the Father's house. You're one of the chosen ones that has an apartment in the new temple. <laughs> Psalm 72.10, the kings of Tarshish and of the Isles shall bring presents. The kings of Sheba and Seba shall offer gifts. Now watch, as they enter and they come into whichever gate that they're instructed, remember there's every several gates is a pearl. The gates are placed 500 miles apart. The walls are 216 feet tall, making those big gigantic gates. So here they're assigned on the east side, the west side, the north side, the south side, depending upon where their eternal inheritance will be assigned, they will live there. They cannot just up and move. I'm going to go to the other side. God will give them their allotment. They will live there for eternity. And nobody will sit around like this. I wanted to be over there. There won't be a person there ever be sad. 
Can you imagine millions of people living on the earth and nobody will be sad? Nobody will be blue? Nobody will be weary? Nobody will have, ever have even as much as a headache? There won't be no headaches, no toe aches, no back aches, no cancer, no TB. There'll be no more devils. Well, glory to God. There'll be no sorrow. Every day will be as, as it was the first day. You will never be sad. You will never be weary. You'll never be distraught. Let's go this morning. Praise God. Brother Sitcher, I'm not talking about a dream. You imagine this. They come in whichever gate that they do. And they focus around. It funnels around the base. And it comes around to where the main entrance coming this way. And then here it goes, the incline. Up like this. And he showed me a pure river of water of life. Now we move inside the city and we see that it is actually a garden. If you're thinking it's not Manhattan on a larger scale, forget it. If you're thinking it's like some of the cities you've been into the world, Paris or Denver, wherever you've been in the world, forget it. Get that out of your mind. What you're going to enter into is a lush paradise garden. Praise God. So here comes the river of the water of life. Pure, clear as crystal. Pure river of water of life. Clear as crystal. Proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. Now remember, we remember reading according to Genesis chapter 2 verse 10 to 14. That there was four rivers that come through the Garden of Eden. But here, there's only one. Now it's not a brook. It's not a river. It's not a lake. God wanted, not a river like we would think in our mind. But God wanted a river which would flow down, not from the temple, as it was in Ezekiel 47 in the Millennium Temple. But it starts and has its beginning from under the throne. Praise God. Notice this. In this new creation, God reverses all tragedies of man. No matter how wealthy you are, what your background, what your name is, what your social standing is, None of us here today or no one in the world of all the 7 billion people in the earth. No one has ever had a perfect life. You have a good day today and before the day goes, you never know what's going to happen. Car wreck can happen, something, some danger, some terrible thing happened to you and it spoils the day before and the day before and the day before. Is that right? But all of that will be totally reversed and the river of water of life will be coming down nourishing the trees of life on every side of the river. And actually, you'll be having one in your own yard. Now, in this heavenly sphere, there will be no more curse. They will see his face and serve him through eternity. Now, watch this. Joel saw a fountain out of the house of the Lord. Joel 3.18. It shall come to pass in that day that the mountains shall drop down new wine and the hills shall flow with milk. And the rivers of Judah shall flow with waters. And a fountain shall come forth from the house of the Lord and shall water the valley of Shittim. 
Zechariah spoke of the living waters coming from Jerusalem, Zechariah 14, 8. And it shall be in that day that the living waters shall go out from Jerusalem. Now remember, this is the millennium. Half of them toward the former sea and half toward the hinder sea and the summer and the winter it shall be. But Ezekiel sees the fullest vision or the closest one to the eighth day temple when he sees the millennium. And that is Ezekiel 47 and 7. Now when I return and behold at the bank of the river were very many trees on the one side and on the other. Then he said unto me, these waters issued out toward the east country and go down into the desert and go into the sea, which being brought forth into sea, the waters shall be healed. Now this, of course, is the Dead Sea. And it shall come to pass that everything that liveth, which moveth, whithersoever the river shall come, shall live. And there shall be a great multitude of fish, because these waters shall come hither, for they shall be healed, and everything shall live, whither the river cometh. But John says, I saw a pure river of the water of life. Notice in Psalm 36, they shall be abundantly satisfied with the fatness of thy house. And thou shalt make them drink of the river of thy pleasures. How many great cities, ancient and new, of the world have been built by rivers right by them along the Nile which flows from the deepest part of Africa northward toward Egypt along the Nile ancient civilizations have been built for thousands of years because beyond the Nile is the desert so you find a civilization here and another one over here, not out in the middle of the desert, but along the river. But look at this civilization. It's not built beside the river, but the river comes right down the middle of it. And it actually comes from the top, out from under the throne. Now, we know there's a spiritual parallel, of course, to water. What's this in St. John 4.10? Uh, Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God and who it is, that saith unto thee, give me to drink. Thou would have asked him, and he would have given thee living water. Living water. The woman saith unto him, sir, thou hast nothing to draw with. And the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? So she's looking at Jacob's well. And Jesus is hearing a spiritual parable. He said, if you knew who you was talking to, you'd ask me, and I'd give you water. So you ain't got no bucket. How you going to draw this water? Well, did Jesus let her know that the well I'm talking about don't come from Jacob's well, but God's well. Notice St. John 7, 37. In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of... Ah. Oh. So out of the center of his being will come rivers of living water. And where does this one come from? Out from under the throne of God. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. 
So the source of the river, notice in Revelation 22, 1, and he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. So there's only one throne? Notice John didn't see two thrones. He didn't say thrones of the gods. But he only saw one throne and one that sat on it but one that hovered over it. Which was the same one that sat on it, except in the condescended form. <laughs> Woo, glory to God. Notice in Psalms 46, 4, there is a river. The streams whereof shall make glad the city of God. The holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. Tabernacles. Tabernacles? You mean there's more than one place? Don't you understand? The house of God is the Father's house. In my Father's house are many apartments. If it were not so, I would have told you. Notice this in future home. The prophet said, I've never seen nothing so quenching as to be in the mountains and find as I preached on. He said the other night, that stream bubbling up, it's life-giving resource. You'd be tired and thirsty and fall down by a good stream way down there where germs can't go. Way down past hundreds of feet in the earth is bubbling forth pure, genuine, life-giving water. We appreciate that. That's little. Now the earth has its many streams refreshing water. When you're thirsting and dying and you get a good cold drink from that, it'll help you live. But look where this one comes from. From the throne. There is where it gets its life-giving resource. Comes from under the throne of God where God sits. All of this earth, this earth that we live in now, everyone, whether Christian or pagan, has temples. Did you ever think of that? Churches. But this one doesn't have any. The Bible said there was no temple there, but the Lord God and the Lamb is the temple of it. The Lamb is the light. The Lamb is the temple. The Lamb is the throne. The Lamb is the life. He is the temple. All these temples have an object they're worshiping, but in this city, He is the object. He is with His people. His spirit light floods the pyramid city. So water, light, goodness, mercy, all of those things are coming from where? The throne of the king which happens to be your father slash husband as eternal Elohim he is your father through the manifestation of the creation in the body of time slash he is your husband <laughs> I hope I didn't go over your head those that drink. Can you imagine, Brother Jay? When we just go down through there, Brother Philip, we reach over. Just. Yeah. Pure. Everybody there drinks. 
The same thing. Ain't no orange Kool-Aid, red Kool-Aid. Ain't no Pepsi, no Coke, no 7-Up, no Sierra Mist, no Dr. Pepper. No. Everybody drinks from the same source. Everybody lives from the same source. Everybody worships the same person. Everybody adores the same person. And everybody gets along. They that drink of this river have immortality. It's a river of grace. It flows from the merciful one. It's a river of power because it's a display of the majestic one that created it. Notice it is the lamb sitting on the throne with the father hanging over him. And let me close. On top of Mount Zion will set the lamb and the city will need no light for the lamb is the light thereof. And above the lamb will be the father which is the Logos. God, the great light, the eternal light that will shine just above the throne. So every now and then, the trumpets will... Everybody in the city will pause their fellowship, pause their singing. They'll know that's the announcement. Our Joseph... Is coming. Here you'll come and walk down those streets, avenues. Let me say it in a Tennessee way. Put his arm around your shoulder and say, "Hey, buddy." <laughs> and Jesus will commit a perfect age. To a perfect living God that he has redeemed and give over to the Father. Is that right? We'll turn to God the Father. We'll turn to God the Father. Which is spirit, not a man. Spirit, all nature of goodness gathered together. That's God. And in goodness, now anything perverted from good is evil. That's Satan kingdom. And all that belongs to God. And we know, of course, all evil belongs to Satan. And there Jesus was set on the throne. Out from under the throne will flow the river of life trickling down these four walls into little chasms, into little branches. Now just listen at it. Listen as it comes out. And there'll be little tributaries that'll come on and they'll branch off on the sides and they'll head down the little chasms, just little light trickles of running water. Everybody will have one passing through. Now remember, whenever you're looking at the pyramid, it's not like a building where it's hard-sided up like this, but it's actually a garden made in a pyramidal form. You've seen mountains, haven't you, just like I have, and you see them, and it looks like every tree is exactly the same height. So you go to getting closer and closer and closer, and then you realize it's actually individual trees that's in there making the forest, but yet they make an outline up against the sky, and it looks like it's almost as straight as it can be. That's what the city will be. It will be your house and your avenue and your park and, and all of that going there, and it'll just be such a straight line coming up through there. And the people that live on the outside, it will look like a hard-sided place until they go closer and they realize it's not hard at all. It's living trees. It's living people. A living house. 
Don't you understand what it is? It's the living paradise of God. It's not encased in glass. It's not encased in gold. There's trees and parks and avenues. And every one of them will be perfect from the pyramidal shape. And not one will ever girl out and say, I'm the big tree, I'm the big tree, I'm the big guy, I'm the big message preacher. No, they'll all be given that size for eternity and they'll keep the same shape and we'll never have to trim them. Now, brother, that's good landscaping right there. Because out from under the throne will flow the river of life. Trickling. Notice how it breaks down when it comes down from the river. It'll come down into smaller streams and then it'll start trickling. Just little, you know, trickling sounds. As it trickles down into these little chasms, into little branches and come up a river. And down through by the city, it'll go right down through the streets like that. And on each side stands the trees of life. In the Garden of Eden, there was one. But we're in the eighth day. There's orchards. <laughs> there's orchards of what? The trees of life. When John looked at this, he said, the leaves are for the healings of the nations. And the Greek word healing is the word we get therapeutic from. So they cannot get sick, but it's as if though there's something about the leaves of the trees that minister therapeutic value to the eaters. They drink the water. Praise God. Poor old Ponce de Leon, he spent so much time looking down in Florida, all he found was a bunch of gators in the swamp. Aren't you glad God's let you drink from the fountain of the waters of life? Let's stand together. Let me finish this quote here into the little branches and come from form up a river. Notice what it does. Comes from the little branches and form up a river. On each side stands the trees of life that will change their fruit every 30 days. Oh, what a city. Praise God. Our new home. In my father's house are many mansions, many apartments, many houses. There's no church house, but there is a church. There's no place to worship, but every place is a place to worship. There's no preaching, but there'll be preachers there. They just won't be preaching. Eternal retirement. Ooh, boy, brother, that sounds like a plan to give your life for, does it not? Think about it, friends. I hope you don't think this is a fabricated story, a fictitious imagination of some old people. This is God's promise. This is not like Mohammed. This is not like Buddha, who gave up everything he was. Those of you that know the history of Buddha know that he started out as a rich king, but he was not happy, he was not satisfied. So he gave up everything that he had looking for enlightenment. So he went here and he went there and he went somewhere else looking for enlightenment. And he found a tree somewhere and he sat down under that tree and started meditating, looking for enlightenment. 
I wonder how it felt when he died and went beyond the curtain of time into the regions of the lost. And those who follow him going exactly the same place. Come on, saints. And let me tell you, if you just think this message is enlightenment, you'll wind up in the same place they do unless you meet the Lord Jesus on a personal basis to where you know you have passed from death unto life. Quoting the message is not what we want. No. Quoting the Bible is not what we want. We must have this fountain. Can't you see? Those who live in the city, it is a parallel of them. If you have the Holy Ghost, if any man believe on me, as the Scripture said, out of his belly, what? Out of himself comes his resource. That's why when everything is falling around you on the outside, you ought to be crazy. You ought to be insane. You have a resource that is not from the outside. It's from within. It even marvels you that have it, does it not? How in the world am I holding my head up? How am I even doing this? Well, it ain't you. It's that stream on the inside bubbling. When you get sick, it bubbles. When you get down, it bubbles. Why, this is why you're a perfect match for that city. Praise God. If you'll notice the way that it runs, sometimes it runs like a river, and then other times it breaks and divides itself, and it comes down into chasms, and it goes down into little streams, and it comes down to a little trickle. But it always comes right back around, right back into the river where it come from. So if you're in a trickle in your experience with God today, keep on following the downward motion. It will lead you back to the river. Amen. Praise God. Let's bow our heads together. Praise God. That may lot to be remembered today. With all your heart, children, you want to go? You want to go to this blessed place? You believe it's there? With all your heart? Heavenly Father, as we bow our heads today to the dust of the earth, Lord, we were born earthly creatures all of our lives. We've lived in this earth and dealt with earthly things. And until you touched us from the supernatural realm, that's all we knew. And probably most of us thought that's all we'd ever be. But one day, something heavenly touched our lives. Since then, we've never been the same. Every now and then, that heavenly pull opens up. And we're able to see a little bit of the Shekinah. Oh, Lord, it's wonderful when I can see it in other brothers and sisters. It's wonderful to be able to see it that way. But, God, they will be honest and they'll say with me as well, it means so much and I'm able to look beyond me and see it in me. Lord, we love you. We love you. We don't love your gold. We're not serving you for jasper, gates of pearl. I mean it when I say it, Lord. If you come back down on this earth and just ridded the earth of sin and evil. And this is what heaven was. A redoing of this earth and wiping away sin. It would have been fine for me. But Lord, as I've studied this, I realized. Our thinking of build me a cabin in the corner of glory land. Does not match your vision. It's a great thing of humility. I understand that. But in reality. A cabin in heaven would not match the building of the people on the earth. Because you're building your people out of deity, which is gold. 
In their walk is silver, which is redemption. In their colors are blue and purple, which is royalty and dignity. So it would be unfitting to set them people in a proverbial cabin in the corner of glory land. It may be hard for us to comprehend it this morning, but that city that you are building, and that we've touched on just a little bit, Lord, by looking at this, is a reflection of our greater self. Praise God. For John, it was told to him, Come and I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. And when he went, he saw a city with streets of gold. But it was a city, yet it was the bride, the Lamb's wife. Praise God. Help us, Lord Jesus. I'm not as malleable as gold. Lord, sometimes in my journey, I've been hard-headed. I've been stubborn. I've got in your way at times, Lord. No doubt my will has delayed your promise and what you wanted to do. Forgive me for that, Lord. It'd be much easier if you'd pick up a handful of silver and do this and that. Silver wouldn't fight against you the way we do. The jasper, no doubt, that you created, it never fought against you. It never questioned why. It never raised its voice. The gates of pearl, when you spoke them into existence, they never caused you any issues. But we are the problem makers, Lord. But somehow, you love us in spite of all of that. Praise be to God. Lord Jesus, we pray that I make each of our hearts, Lord, as that gold, that deity which can be molded and shaped into your image, Father. Praise be to God. Search our hearts today, Lord. If you find anything in our lives that displeases you, make it known to us, Father, that we can get rid of it, Lord. We want to be a people who can walk down those blessed streets. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise be to God. Credit, Father. You feel that way today, friends, in your hearts? Oh, my goodness. Can you imagine an old hillbilly like us, Brother Terry, walking in some palace or some golden place somewhere? My, would feel so out of place. And that's the way in our minds that we think we're going to be in heaven. And it's because what we're looking at us humanly, we can't see that that permeates our soul. So we're thinking, me on streets of gold? Me? Me, the bride? Me, the queen? No, not you this. You, the divine. You, the supernatural. You, which has excelled in glory. Praise God. I just imagine the excitement of the moment of the change will be so overwhelming for us, Brother Jim, that when it happens, I wonder if the Lord won't slow it down for just a moment as we're moving into that that final phase when our atoms, our molecules, the structure of our bones, our teeth, our hair, our eyes, everything will be changed. And if we don't sense that we're just all of a sudden moving like into a door and we say, Oh, 
praise God. That will be the house that can live in Father's house. Now you feel like a hillbilly moving out of the hills up to some great, you know, Fifth Avenue place. And, you know, all of these people there. And you say, Lord, I'd never fit in that kind of place. But remember, you're only a moment away from being royalty. The change won't even take a minute. This from the inside will be released and start working its way to the outside. Metamorphosis. Now the butterfly still when he comes out of there, it takes him a little bit. His eyes are still dry and his antenna are still not unfolded. So he comes out and he breaks the cocoon. And as he does, he looks totally different than he did when he went in. His, his inside's liquefied and he's totally changed. Well, he begins to break out, but he's still not ready yet. He comes out and he breaks out and he has to air dry a little bit. And then he takes air. Now listen to this. He takes a little bit of air and he blows it here out of his mouth. And his little antennae are still kind of coiled up like little coils on the top of his head. So he takes that air and he goes. And he blows his antennae out. Now I wonder what butterfly school he went to to teach him how to do that. It was in him to consummate the change. And his eyes, he takes his little foot here and he starts rubbing across his eyes and moistening his eyes and then they start coming into view because now he has total different vision than he had whenever he was a worm. And his digestive system has totally changed and he's sitting there, Lord, he's sitting there experiencing the final stages of his change. Praise be to God. And all of a sudden, he begins to feel the move, and he knows the time has arrived. And here this big, fat, ugly worm has now transformed into a beautiful butterfly. And all of a sudden, he feels the urge to fly away. <laughs> Praise God! Praise God! Can you imagine, children? As we go into our liquefaction inside the cocoon of the word. And we're being changed from one to another. From one species to another. And when we come out on the other side. We'll have eyes. Eyes that we've never seen before. The blues will be so blue. The purples will be so purple. The yellows, our ears will be so sensitive. Our eyes, oh, everything about us will be a different kind. Praise God. Saying. Praise God. The holy Praise God. Oh yes. Praise God. To mansions bright across the sea. Sing it now. Oh, 
God. Praise God. Let me just say this. I'm so glad that our Lord Jesus is not just so concerned about the heavenly that he forgets us down here in this darkened chaos of the earth that we're in. If you're sick today, troubled today, he's concerned about that as well. Would you do me a favor and just lay your hand on the person standing near you there? Let's offer a word of prayer. Maybe they're burdened or troubled. They may not know where the money's going to come from to pay their next bill, or maybe it's a heartache, a disappointment. I want you just to pray as one believer to another for strength, for courage, just for whatever they need. Heavenly Father, we are taught in your word that we are to bear the burdens of one another as your people. We are part of a divine family. We're going to Father's house. But we actually believe Father's house is living on the earth today in this earthly match of the heavenly. Because we are that mystical body that is being formed together by the baptism of the Holy Ghost. So Lord, even though we long for that hour and it lays before us, Lord Jesus, we know that you're concerned about sicknesses and affliction, disease and so on, and our bodies. So Lord, as these believers have their hands laid one upon the other, whatever they have need, Father, I pray in the name of Jesus, may the angels of God who are in this building this morning, Lord God, may we realize and believe, oh, we may not have seen them, but the angels of God have been here. I wonder if we could have heard them screaming amen to this sermon that they heard this morning because they've been there and seen them streets of gold. They've seen them gates of pearl. But here today, Father, they're here to minister to those who are heirs of righteousness and life. So we pray for each other, not only in the visible audience, but those who stream the service, Father, or archive it from around the world, whatever their need is. Dear God, I pray for young people that might fight suicide. Father, they might fight addiction to drugs, or they might fight pornography or alcohol or whatever it is, Lord, young or old. Father, in the name of Jesus, may the Spirit of God break the yoke around their life, God. We join our faith together in the promise of your word, Lord God. We pray in the name of Jesus, wherever that last one is, may you bring them in. Lord, it may be a black one over in Africa. It may be a Chinese. It may be a Japanese. It may be a Tennessean that we'll run into at Walmart after church. Lord God, bring them in so we can go home, Father. We pray for your children. We pray for strength, for courage. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you'd give them what they need of, Lord. May this sermon encourage them, I pray, Father. We love you today, Lord Jesus. Praise your holy name, Father God. Praise your holy name, Father. Amen, amen. Now, if you had a need when that person prayed for you, I want you to just raise your hands and say, I claim it. It's done. In the name of Jesus, it's done. My God is mindful of my needs. It's done. Healing in your body, whatever it is, hey, it's already paid for. If the Lord Jesus was in this building this morning, he could not heal you. He's already done it. He might do something that would raise your faith to believe it, but he has already purchased your healing. Let's sing something else here before we go. God bless you. Once you turn and shake hands with somebody, tell them it's good to be in the house of the Lord today. Amen. I trust it was a little blessing to you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
Hallelujah. In that city where the Lamb oh, is yes. alive. Let's just worship Him a little before we go. In that city where the Shall go. 